Good morning again. All right. Some of you are awake. Haddon Robinson taught preaching forever. I think he taught Paul. He's still alive. Um, he said preaching was the fine art of talking in somebody else's sleep. A couple of you are awake. Thanks. Hey, uh, listen, why don't we bring back an old tradition and we'll stand for the reading of the text this morning. How, how's that? Let's give it a shot here. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give the people these instructions, too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this text, very practical, lots of very specific things that you've called us to. This morning, Lord, I pray that you'd open up our hearts and our minds to this, that we would not overlook the obvious, but Lord, that we would embrace it in our call, Lord, to care for those in need, especially in our families. Lord, I pray along with the psalmist that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I were to take that whole long text and try to boil it down into one sentence, it would be something like this. It would be that respect and care are to mark our relationships, particularly our relationships in the church. That respect and care should be how Christians relate to each other, to those that are in need, uh, really to anybody. And, and I know that as I say that, there are some of you that struggle with this statement because you go, you know, I've not been treated respectfully in the church. There have been people that have been less than caring or loving towards me. And that's hard, and it's wrong. I, I know that there's others of you that as we read that text and we think about treating each other with care and respect, you might be squirming in your seats because you're going, well, that's kind of not how I treat people. And that also is a problem. 
And yet Paul, in, in great clarity and with the authority of God's Spirit, calls all of us, and this includes me, to leave all of those things behind, to start with respect and to start with care for others as Christ calls us to. And that first point just really kind of gets at this, I think. It's that caring respect should mark all of our relationships. Timothy right here is told to respect. But if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that prior to this, Timothy has been told in no uncertain terms that he is to you know, teach, he's to preach, and he is to call people out who are not teaching and preaching the truth. He says, Timothy, there are people in your church, there are people that are teaching in your congregation that are obsessed with genealogies and myths and speculation and all this kind of stuff. And he says, you know what, Timothy, you're going to have to call them out on it. Now, I will tell you, as somebody who's done this, that truth-telling is hard, especially when you do it with somebody that's older than you. And what's Timothy to do? Well, Paul makes it pretty clear. He says, Timothy, don't, you know, don't find an older guy that's, that needs to have some truth and, and dress him down and, and, and be rude about it. Uh, Paul uses the word, he says, don't rebuke him. Uh, but more gently, he, he says, exhort him. I, encourage him towards the truth. And I think often we have these really great intentions to tell the truth to people, and yet the way we tell truth to people is so horrible. And it, and it really shuts them off from being able to receive the truth. A couple by the name of Ed and Barbara Waltz lived in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, had a daughter with cerebral palsy. And they went to a doctor in hopes to try to figure out what you know, what are we going to do about this? What can we do for her? How can we care for her? What kind of life is she going to have? And all these kinds of questions that, that parents want to know when you find out a diagnosis like that. And so they went to this doctor and they said, you know, after all the tests had come in, the doctor brings us into his office and he just sort of comes in a little bit late and rather abruptly says, yeah, your daughter's got uh, cerebral palsy. She's never going to be able to walk. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And, and they're devastated. And the wife, you know, she says, well, what kind of shoes should I buy her? And he's, she's wondering, you know, should I get her some special orthotics or braces or something like this? And the doctor looks at her and says, hey, you know, listen, it doesn't really matter what kind of shoes you buy your daughter because she's not going to walk in them. That's that. They were crushed. They were devastated. They couldn't believe that they had been treated so harshly. They go and get a second opinion. And they find another doctor and same type of tests and same kind of thing. And they come for consultation. And yet this doctor is taking a little bit of time. And he tells them essentially the same thing, although a lot more kindly. The wife asks the same question of this new doctor. What kind of shoes should I buy her? And the doctor, with a little bit of thought, said, You know, if it was my daughter, I'd buy her the prettiest pink shoes I could find. There's an incredible amount of compassion in that kind of statement. It's the same truth, and yet there's a lot more love and respect in it. And yet today, and this is unfortunate, even in the church, we have lost that, that compassion and we've lost the respect. You know, the pleasantries of the past, we sort of look back with nostalgic kids saying things like, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. They've been replaced with whatever, dude. It's true. And it's kind of funny until you're on the other side of it. Trust, trust me. It's not all that funny. And Paul says, hey, listen, that should not be the way that it is in the church. The world may lack care and the world may lack respect, Timothy, but that is not to be you. Even when you're having the hard conversations, Timothy, you need to have respect and love. 
And all of this respect and all of this is to be grounded in this idea that the church is a family. This isn't cold professionalism that we're called to in trite courtesies. No, 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 no. Paul says, listen, I want you to address older men as though they were your father. And I want you to talk to older women as though they were your mother. And younger women as sisters. And younger men as brothers. And you ought to love the people in the church the way that you should love the people in your own families. And we're not that far removed from the old-timey church tradition of greeting everybody on a Sunday morning with brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. And I'm not necessarily saying we've got to bring that back in order to live in obedience to this text, but I will say I think that would get us a step closer to it. I don't think it would hurt us to address each other with loving and respectful titles. Paul's going to go on. He's going to say, listen, these, this is how you treat everybody. You treat everybody with, with a caring respect, and the emphasis there, I think, is on respect. And he moves on to the people in need, and he says, you need to have respectful care. The emphasis here is on caring now, when it comes to, to Christian love and when it comes to Christian charity, uh, we have never viewed people, uh, the church has never viewed people or should have never viewed people as projects. I'm going to give money to help you. You're my project. This is my good deed of the day, referring to a person. You are my good deed of the day. Very, very anti-Christian. You know, the early church loved orphans and they loved widows, not as projects but as people in their family. And that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, bring this back into the context of family. You're going to care for people, but you're going to do it respectfully. You're going to respect their dignity. You're going to respect their right to, to be treated as a human being made in the image of God the way that you are a human being made in the image of God. And he says, when you care for people, you do so respecting their self-worth. Their God-worth would probably be a better way to say that. And he starts by calling out families. He says that families should care for their widows as a form of repayment. Now, I know that Paul's going to talk about widows, and this clearly applies to widows. But I would also say I think there's principles in here that will apply to other people within our family and in our church that are also in need. I think we can take some of these ideas and move them out. But we need to start where Paul starts, and that's with those uh, folks that he calls out as widows here in the text. Uh, and Paul says, listen, you know, you need to show appreciation for those in your family that are older, that have worked. Mom's worked hard. She's provided for you. She's cared for you. Now she can't work for herself. It's up to you to care for her. You know, we show appreciation for their work and for their care by caring for them, working for them when they can't do it themselves. When Paul says honor, he's not just talking about like respect. He's saying you should provide for their physical needs. The family was the original social security office, and the line's a lot shorter there. Paul in verse 4 states that the widow's children and grandchildren are first and foremost to take care of her as a form of repayment. In other words, you probably owe your parents something. If there's a bank inside of everybody that was called who you are today and the only way you could get anything in there is for somebody else to make a deposit, I would ask you, who's holding the most deposit slips for your life? Normally, it's your parents. Normally, it is. Now, I know that there are exceptions, and I know that for some of you who have strained relationships with your parents, you think, yeah, this is incredibly difficult. That's true, and I understand that but I would challenge you to wrestle with what it would mean for you to live in obedience to this text, 
even with a strained relationship? What is it going to mean for you to live in obedience with this text? What ways can you bring about reconciliation and, 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 and care, if it's possible? And I say that because Paul doesn't just say this is repaying your parents. Paul doesn't just say, you know, you're going to give back to your parents what they gave to you. No, no, he says, listen, this is your religious duty, is what the text says. This is your spiritual duty. You do this for mom and dad, sure. But listen, if you want to know what it means to live in obedience to Christ and his command to care for people, he says, start by taking care of the people in your own family. And what does he say? He says, if you fail to do that, what? You're worse than an unbeliever. He says, if you can't even care for those people, I mean, unbelievers can do that. He says, you've got to start there. And so maybe the only way you can care for them is because of what God has done to care for you. But when you do that, it blesses them. It shows Christ to them. And Paul will go on in verse 16 to say that when we care for our families, that also blesses the church. Paul in verse 16 says, listen, the church is here for widows. We see in Acts that that's true. We see in James that true religion, according to James, is to care for the widows and the orphans. But Paul says, listen, while the church is going to do that and the church needs to do that, the church's resources are going to be limited. If you don't take care of your own family and you put them off on the church, the church will be, uh, have limited resources to care for those who have no family. And so it's important for families to take this to heart and say, you know what, I've got to care for those family members, particularly my older family members who are in need as a form of repayment. Now, I, I like this, but I also like that Paul doesn't like, leave everybody else sort of off the hook. So if you are you know, maybe in that zone where you are starting to receive care and uh, you know, grace from your children, Paul's got a job description for you. He says those with limited options, and I, I mean limited options in terms of you know, physical options, things you can do, get a job. You know, maybe at 90, you're not going to be the roofer you once were, you know, and that's probably a good thing. Um, but Paul says, listen, you've still got a job. You know, when you think of a widow, I think in our minds, we think of women that can't do anything, can't work, sit at home alone. But Paul's pretty clear that even these widows have a job. Paul says they're, they're to be prayer warriors for the church. Paul, Paul's got a criteria. Did you see that for being put on the widow's list? He says, put a widow's list if she's you know, old enough, but also if she's known for love and good deeds. Because he's assuming that a woman who has filled her life with love and good deeds, when she is provided for in her later years, is going to dedicate herself to love and good deeds still. Well, what happens if you take care of the physical needs of a righteous widow? She's going to continue in righteousness. What happens if you take care of the needs of, uh, physical needs of a licentious widow? She's going to continue in sin. That's what's going to happen. It's interesting, you're going to go forward about 200 years to the second century, or the third century, and you're going to come, and you're going to see that this list of widows is turned into an order of widows. And this order of widows were a group of older women that were dedicated to service and prayer, much like nuns. I mean, like we would think of nuns today. These were women who sort of banded together, and they said, our job is to pray for the people in the church, and to love the people in the church, to care for the people in the church, and to do that kind of service. Now, I'm not advocating that, and I'm not prepared to start an order of, of widows here at Bowling Green Christian Church, but I will say this, that this text makes it clear that no one is to retire in their faith. Everybody's got a service. If the only service you can do is to take your bulletin home that's got the prayer list on it, and you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to commit to praying for each of these people by name a few times a day, then so be it. That is your service. 
I remember when uh, my dad's dad uh, passed, my cousin, who's also in ministry, told me, he said, you know, I feel really vulnerable now spiritually. He says, because uh, I know how much Grandpa prayed for me. And Grandpa couldn't do a whole lot, but he could do that. And he did, and he was glad to tell you about that. And I'll tell you, I think that we need more people that are committed to prayer, seniors that are committed to prayer, even when they can't do anything else. Say, I'm going to be a, a prayer warrior for the church. If these widows are going to heed Paul's command, then they're going to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, even in retirement. And I think all of us, if you're a Christ follower, we want to be a little bit more like Jesus. I've yet to meet a, a, a Christ follower who says, you know what? I'm about as much like Christ as I want to be. I'm, if I was any more like Jesus, I don't think I could hardly stand myself. I've, I've never met that person. I'd be kind of afraid to meet that person if you want to know the truth. Uh, but this is what, what Paul is saying. saying, hey, listen, you don't retire from pursuing righteousness. You don't retire from service. You don't retire from us. All of us, young and old alike, want to continue to be more like Christ. And that's what our care is supposed to do. Our care should help people be more like Christ, not less like Christ. This is why Paul spends a lot of time making sure that they, the, the help they give widows is helping them be more like Jesus. Paul says, hey, listen, if a widow is not 60 and she's young and she's able to get a job or get remarried or to do something else, don't put her on the list, Paul says. Don't take care of somebody's needs that can take care of their own. Because if you do that, then what you're going to do is you're going to give them all sorts of time and idleness. And let's be honest, your mom was right when she said idleness, idle hands are the devil's workshop. They are. A lot of people I talk to would be in a whole lot less trouble if they had a whole lot less time on their hands. This is what Paul says. He said, listen, if you're younger and you're a widow, then go out and do something. Don't come to the church and say, you need to take care of me. Go out and do. Uh, this is why in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, hey, listen, if you do for other people what they can do, then all you're doing is enabling laziness. And if these people aren't working, Paul says, they should need this. what he says in 2 Thessalonians. He says, you should be out and productive if you can. Now, so what are these widows to be doing? How are they supposed to be a little bit more like Christ? Well, Titus 2.3 fleshes this out a little bit more. Paul writes there, he says, Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. Titus 2.3 indicates that widows need to be engaged in some form of discipling younger women in the church because there is no retirement in the church. We're all called to serve. We're all called to share our experience. When we become too old to serve, we talk about what it was like to serve and how others can serve. And I'll tell you, I'm so proud of the older folks in our, our church We've got some really active senior women in this congregation. You show up here on a Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, you're going to run into these women. They're, they're going and they're, they're volunteering over at Hotel Inc. They're, they're meeting and cleaning. They're, they're meeting and helping somebody else out. They're taking care of each other. They're giving each other rides and, and doing all sorts of stuff. And, and I'll tell you, it's impressive to see that kind of devotion here. But this is what Paul's calling us to. It's that kind of respectful care and a caring respect that should mark all of our relationships as we encourage each other to be more like Christ. I, I, I want to sort of wrap up here with this reflection from an older guy. His name is Dr. Paul Brand. 
He worked with uh, Philip Yancey in writing the book Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Uh, he lives in a retirement home, and they were dedicating the retirement home, and he gave a speech, and here's a little bit of what he said. He said, I remember well when I was at my physical peak. I was 27 years old and had just finished medical school. A group of friends and I were mountain climbing, and we would climb for hours. For some people, when they cross that peak, for them, life is over. He says, I remember well my mental peak, too. I was 57 years of age and was performing groundbreaking hand surgery. All of my medical training was coming together in one place. For some people, when they cross that peak, for them, life is over. He says, I'm now over 80 years of age. I recently realized I'm approaching another peak, my spiritual peak. All I have sought to become as a person uh, has the opportunity to come together in wisdom, maturity, kindness, love, joy, and peace. And I realize that when I cross that peak, for me, life will not be over. It will have just begun. And friends, that's what we're helping each other towards, is towards that spiritual peak that all of us want to come to. And the best way we do that is, is we treat each other with respect, and we treat each other with care. We speak truth with love to each other as we lead each other to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I, I confess first of all of these people here that there is times when my speech is less than caring, and I will confess first of all the people here that there are times when my speech is less than respectful. And so, Lord, for that for my own sins, I ask for forgiveness. In behalf on everybody here who would, who would echo an amen to that, I would ask for forgiveness for us collectively, Lord. Lord, and we're not just sorry about that. We, we really would like to grow in this. We would like to see you work in our hearts, in our minds, in our language, in our treatment of other people. And so this week, Lord, as we contemplate you know, who we're going to run into and the people that maybe try our patience or, or run us short on grace, would you be there to fill us with your grace, and with your compassion, that we would be respectful, that we would be loving, that, Lord, we would, um, that we would live in obedience to this text. This text is not hard to understand. It's very, very clear, but it's hard to live out. Lord, through the presence of your Spirit inside of us, would you give us the strength to do that? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, I'll ask you to stand as we come to our time of decision. And we do this every week because um, you never know when the Spirit's at work in somebody's life. And perhaps this week God's been calling you to a deeper relationship with Himself. And you need to respond to that. You need to receive Him, uh, the gift of His salvation through baptism. Maybe God's calling you to a commitment to the church or maybe a deeper commitment to Him. If so, we'd want to invite you to come forward. As I thought about this this week, this love and respect or this caring and respect, I thought about our relationship with God. It dawned on me that God is very caring to us. And that's something we always come up with. You know, when you think about God, we think about caring often. But we don't think of God respecting us, and yet He does. God is not ever in Scripture forced Himself on somebody and said, You have to receive me. You have to come and enjoy me in heaven forever. You have to sit at the table and enjoy my feast for eternity. He respects us very much. And so this morning I would say, if you've been wrestling with God, I'll tell you, God's going to respect you. And if you resist Him, He will be resisted. But if you surrender to Him, He will come. And the blessing of that will be amazing.